hate. Exclusive and honey to my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts. Therefore, I hate every wrong practice. Thanks, guys. If you haven't yet passed out the sermon outlines that are in the pews, go ahead and do that if you would, please. We'll be following along there, and uh, we'll tell you the blanks as we go along if you're taking notes. We've left some extra room there for you. And then we also have the growth groups lessons on the back of that for Wednesday night growth groups. Or for anybody who wants to do it by themselves, it's a good study and way to continue to make our sermon series apply to our lives throughout the week. Today we're in part two of a five-part series called Motive Six. It's all about the idea of motive and the role that that plays in stewardship of our lives and our resources. As we live out the things that God has given us, last week we talked about giving, this week we talk about prayer. As we live out the kinds of things that God has given us and our resources, what is our motive in how we do those things? That's the question we're asking throughout this series. And this week we talk about prayer. This week we talk about the manner in which we pray and our reasons for doing so, especially how we as a people connect to God's heart and his concerns for his people and for his glory. We'll focus on that today. There was a man who was walking down the California beach one day. He was deep in prayer for quite a while when all of a sudden he said aloud, Lord, grant me one wish. So from the clouds, a booming voice said, Because you have tried to be faithful, I will grant you one wish. So the man said, Lord, build me a bridge to Hawaii so I can drive over any time I want to. Well, the Lord answered, Your request, my son, is very materialistic. Think of the logistics of that kind of an undertaking the supports that would be required to reach the bottom of the Pacific, the concrete and the steel that it would take. I can do it, but it's hard for me to justify your desire for worldly things. Take a little more time to think of another wish, a wish that you think would honor and glorify me. So the man thought about it for a good while. And he came up with this one. Lord, I wish that I could understand women. I want to know what they feel inside. I want to know what women are thinking. And when, when they give me the silent treatment, I want to know why they cry. I want, I want to know what they mean when they say nothing and how I can make a woman truly happy. After a few moments' thought, God said, How many lanes did you want on that bridge? Now that I need to ask for forgiveness from my spouse and from God, let's go ahead and pray together as we get into the text today. Lord, we're grateful for your word, which teaches us, and through your Holy Spirit shapes and molds us. We're grateful for these friends gathered here today in worship that we, 
can be here to name you as king of our lives. We ask that all that we say, all that we do, that our interactions with one another, the songs that we sing, and yes, indeed, the prayers that we pray, would all come together in a way which helps us to name you as king of our lives more and more fully. And so that's why we're gathered in worship today, Lord. We ask that that would be what happens among us through your spirit today. In the name of your son, Jesus, amen. Think about your last prayer. Think about your last prayer or or the regular shape of your prayer life. What do you pray for? What do you pray about? Is it earthly concerns and ailments? Are you praying for bridges to Hawaii? A cruise ship would do just fine for me, thanks. Are you praying for money? Are you praying for things that, that can make us do better on earth? I think if most of us are honest, when we think about the things about which we spend the bulk of our time in prayer, those kinds of concerns are things of this earth. Timely, earthly, temporal, selfish, fleshly kinds of concerns. Let me just state the problem up front. This is the first blank in your outline there. The problem in prayer for us, the problem in our prayer life is simply this. We've lost our kingdom focus. We've lost a kingdom focus. If we have a kingdom perspective, it will show up in our prayer life. If we have a kingdom perspective, it will show up in our prayer life. You see, Jesus did not come to establish a religion. Religion is man's meager attempt to impede an invisible and unreachable God. Jesus did not come preaching a new kind of religion. He came preaching the gospel of the kingdom being established in the form of Jesus Christ here on earth and in our hearts. In the form of Jesus Christ, the person of Christ came to establish the rule and the reign of God. If you want to know what the kingdom is, it's this, the rule and the reign of God. Regardless of place, regardless of context, If you want to take notes there, you can draw a little arrow from kingdom that says the rule and reign of God. And it's not just there. It's not just in heaven. It's not just someday. It's something that Jesus came to establish in our lives and in our hearts and in our families and our relationships in our workplace and in our prayer life. So when we accept the person Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we're not just saved from sin. We become part of his kingdom. We become his subjects in the kingdom because his rule and his reign is over our life. Romans 14 talks about this. It says, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy. Those kinds of things that come from the character of God to be established in our lives. Luke 4 says the same kind of thing. This is, this is Jesus talking here. He says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. He says, that's why I was sent. So if God is king in our lives, his kingdom agenda will be heard by him and by others in the way we talk to and with God. That's why for this whole sermon series, the big idea for us is this. 
Unlike the pretend piety of the hypocrites, this is the next blank here, unlike the pretend piety of the hypocrites, the piety, the right conduct that accords with God's character, the piety of those engaged in the kingdom of God is rewarded by the Father in heaven. We'll talk a lot more about that piety and what we mean by that. And we'll we'll talk about that idea of reward, especially throughout the rest of our series. About the reward that comes from the kind of life we live that is engaged in the kingdom. On a practical level, for this series, the question for us is this. Do my motives, this is the next, uh, next thing on the outline there, do my motives reveal engagement in the kingdom of God or of some other kind of kingdom? And that blank is left there for you. I don't know what that is. You know what that is. There are a whole slew of kingdoms, small k, that we engage ourselves in very fully, very wholeheartedly. Those kind of kingdoms in our lives are earthly kingdoms alone. They don't last forever. It's kingdoms of self, kingdoms of money, the kingdom of success and popularity, materialism looking good on the outside, Security. That's the same kind of question, by the way, that confronted these first believers in Matthew 5 through 7. On the Sermon on the Mount here, Jesus has come, and these people are thinking, Jesus, finally, I'm sick of being poor. I don't think that's why Jesus came. Jesus, finally, you're going to help us kick some Roman tail because those people are oppressing us. That's not why Jesus came. At this point in the book of Matthew, Jesus had just begun his public ministry, and he had just called his first disciples, and the crowds were beginning to gather. They were beginning to assemble and ask those kinds of questions. They were wondering, what will the kingdom of God look like? What kind of kingdom has Jesus come to establish And so in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, friends, if you are going to be a part of my kingdom, if you are going to be soldiers in the kingdom of God, this is what it's going to look like. You've heard that this is what it's going to look like, but I tell you, this is what it's going to look like. And so we're hearing those marching orders for participation in the kingdom that Jesus is giving us here. So to our text in Matthew 6, the big idea today for us is this. Praying is right. It's in accordance with God's character, not in order to convince others or ourselves that we love God, but when we pray in keeping with establishing God's kingdom. When we say the Lord's Prayer each week, we don't just, we don't just say it. We don't just recite it as a congregation, as a way for us to ask for those things, but as a way for us congregationally together to say, we declare that God's kingdom is here in Jesus, and we want to be a part of that. Let's set up the specific context here. Jesus has been using language in chapter 5 about what life looks like in the kingdom. And he talks about his role in that kingdom. Look at verse uh, 17 in chapter 5 for just a second. Matthew 5, verse 17. Jesus says this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. 
So he proceeds to tell them how this law, the Ten Commandments, and all those other laws and maxims that Jews were supposed to follow, he talks about how that law was just the beginning. Look in verse 21 in chapter 5 there. This is what I alluded to before. You've heard this. This is how it goes. But Jesus comes along and says, this is really the kingdom. Verse 21, he says, you have heard it said, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. He's changing the rules of the game a bit. He's upping the ante. He's telling them, he's telling them that outward obedience can be a pretend farce. Outward obedience can be a pretend farce, and that motive is everything. He goes on to say the same kind of thing a bunch of times in that chapter. Look at verse 27 for a second. He uses that same method. He says, you have heard it said, but I say. Verse 27, you've heard it said that it was, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Holy cow. That's a game changer for these people listening. I thought, I thought that if I looked. No, Jesus says right here, the motive. And it and extends to prayer. All of a sudden, it's not just about one's outward demonstration of a supposed righteousness. It's about the heart. Can you imagine the, the deer in headlights kind of looks of the people listening to Jesus? They had been told their whole lives that, that if, if they just give, if they just pray and they just fast at all the right times and all the right places, showing up to get their gold star in their Bibles, that they would reap eternal reward. Good Jews all knew. They all knew giving prayer, fasting. Do those things at whatever time you're supposed to do them, showing up to the synagogue at the appropriate time. And you're good. You're good. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm all for gold stars and Bibles for little kids. <laughs> we give our little kids small rewards as, as part of memorizing Scripture and, and bringing their Bible and, and starting, starting to practice those things that, that, that followers of Jesus do. But if practice, if practice as a kid does not translate into the motive of our hearts as an adult, something has not happened right in the transaction. If it stays at that level, that kind of outward only kind of thing does a disservice to those people. Some people a tragic disservice. Sometimes, sometimes when we as adults act as if our outward, outward appearance, the way we look like we're praying, the way we look like we're giving, the way we look like we are participating. When we act as if that's all there is, and it's not about change in here, and our motives 
to participate and engage with what God's doing in the world. It's like we don't get past the gold stars and candy stage. So Jesus is making very clear here how we do God's will in the world and in our lives with integrity makes all the difference. He is saying, unlike the scribes and the Pharisees who practice righteousness to establish their own goodness and to bring themselves glory, Jesus says, true followers of me will pray like this. They will, they will give like this. Their outward acts of obedience will come from a motive that cares about what I care about. This is why he says in verse 1 of chapter 6, Beware, be careful, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Be careful when others see your piety, your right conduct. He says, those people who live for those who watch them will have no reward from the Father who is in heaven. Live so as to receive the heavenly reward from the one that matters. So he tells them, verses 5 and 6, he says, to pray in secret. He says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners so that they can be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, Jesus isn't saying, you should never pray in public. <laughs> He's not saying, make sure you go behind closed doors and nobody else can hear you. Some of that public prayer is unavoidable. Prayer has been a part of public worship for the followers of Jesus ever since the New Testament and before then. We're told throughout Acts that the early church constantly met for corporate prayer. And even the people who were listening to Jesus, they didn't have doors on their houses. For most, if they had a door, the only one they would have is on the front. At best, they had a sheet inside their tiny houses, dividing one room from the next. Most of their hut-like little houses had one main room with maybe another room or two on the side. So he isn't even literally telling the people listening to him to shut their doors. He's telling them to pray as if only the Lord is listening to you. He says, stop, stop praying as if you're more worried about what other people are hearing from you. That's why he warns them in the next verses here in 7 and 8. That's why he warns them, don't pray like the pagans. He says, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. In verse 7, Jesus says, when you pray, don't babble. Don't babble. The word there is, that word there for empty phrases is babble. It's what we call an onomatopoeia. 
An onomatopoeia is a word that imitates the sound it represents, like quack for the sound of a duck, ribbit for the sound a frog makes, <laughs> duh for the word sound that most of us think when we hear onomatopoeia and crazy words like that. Jesus is saying, when you pray, don't sound like this, blah, 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 blah. It was common. It was common even for the pagan religions to repeat nonsense syllables in their magical incantations as a way to appease their little gods. And praying at length was regarded by the Gentiles as the primary way to make sure that one's prayer was being heard. And so they went on and on and on. And Jesus says, that begins to sound like Babel. It was even common for Jewish spiritual leaders to do the same thing. There are reports of some of the Jewish leaders who are listening to Jesus preach. Reports of people like that praying for up to nine hours a day. And God heard it as blah, blah, blah. Because it didn't accord with his purposes. That is scary to me. <laughs> How much of my prayers do not accord with God's purposes for the world? I think we, we probably sound more like blah, blah, blah than I think we think we do. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. The Lord wants to hear his children's heartfelt concerns and requests. Don't mishear me. He wants to hear that. Scripture tells us that clearly. But I'm afraid, friends, that we end up sounding more like this guy on this video than I think we sometimes care to admit. Jesus, sorry I'm late. Work was crazy today. No, don't get up. It's okay. Uh, yeah, just got a little bit behind. People are being crazy, you know. That's no problem, Chuck. I'm just glad. No, I'm glad I made it, too. Listen, let's get down to business. I have a lot of work here. A lot of requests. First things first, pastor and his wife are at a conference. Keep them safe. Um, I'm not a fan of the assistant pastor. The less he preaches, the better. Uh, what else? Ralph, his wife, is getting a tattoo removed. It's a stupid college party way back when. You know how those things go. It's in a real painful spot. I'm not a fan of football here, but my friend is. And if I could have two tickets to take him to show him how cool I am so he'd be my friend some more, that'd be great. My dog Nibbles has a gimp leg. Chimney crickets. You know, now that I'm thinking, I could use a new jacket. I'm getting fuzzies all on this one. Please bless my sister, my mother, my father. Our father who art in heaven. My neighbor, Cindy. Hallowed be thy name. Can you sort of train my church to clap on two and four, please? One and three, this is not disco, people. This is serving the Lord. The guy who brings in my shopping cart from the thing. Something I can do to get a raise. Can you read what I wrote here? I think I was, I was dreaming. Plus the Secretary of State, the Secretary of Agriculture, the Secretary of Secretaries. Bless their secretaries. Thy kingdom, thy kingdom come. And that's what bothers me about my mother. 
Hey, look at the time there. That's, uh, uh got to get going there. Jesus is going to wrap this up and say amen. Amen. It's uh, been a pleasure praying with you. It's fine. Evening. I'll be talking with you. Have a good day. Listen, there's nothing wrong with, with the kinds of prayer requests even that guy was making and that we make. But how often do we sound a lot like that guy? You know, me, Jesus, I'm worried about this. I, this is really bugging me, and I wish that you could me, and, and, and I, and, and <laughs> at some point, at some point in our development as believers, if we don't pray about what God is establishing in the world with his rule and reign, we have missed out friends, on establishing in our own lives His rule and reign. We sometimes are like those kinds of people. Our own small-minded goals of temporary and earthly reward. This prayer that we pray each Sunday in the following verses is given to us by Jesus to show what it looks like when we pray from the right heart motive of His kingdom and His goals. Not yours. Not mine. His. This prayer from Jesus is not so much what to pray, but how to pray. The goal of our prayer life, friends, should be engaging with the work of God in the world. So, verse 9, he asks us to pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors and lead us not a temptation, but deliver us from evil. If we could alter our prayer lives with that simple kind of phrase, something like, Lord, establish your kingdom. Just that. If that became the cry of our hearts, it would change us. It would change the way we talk with people, the way we interact as families, as a church body. It would change everything for us. If our focus was for the Lord to continue to receive glory by establishing his kingdom. Let's pray. Father, forgive us for how 
mind-bogglingly small and selfish we are with our requests. We just ask for a change of heart focus, that our motives for speaking with you and for our requests and prayer would be about your glory and your goals. Simply stated, Lord, we want to be a part of seeing who you are made known in our lives and in this world. We ask that we would continue to be those kinds of people who pray those kinds of kingdom prayers. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. If you're a baptized believer in Christ and you're looking for a church home, we'd like to invite you to come up and to be a member at First Christian and to engage in the kingdom that God is establishing here in our hearts. If you'd like to come and name Jesus as your Savior and Lord in the waters of baptism, we would like for you to do that as we stand to sing.